Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yeah. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. It's a great football team with a lot of moral fiber and a lot of character, and they showed it. Shout, a Buffalo football podcast hosted by Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot. No place else you'd rather be than right here, right now. When it's too tough for them, it's just right Presented by Syracuse.com and NYUP.com. The Bills make me wanna... What is up, everybody? Uh, Sunday night here, a little bit after 7 p.m. We are a few hours removed now from the Buffalo Bills falling to 6-4 and four on the season to the previously uh, 500 Indianapolis Colts who moved to 6-5, and 41-15. to 15, An absolute beatdown that included a superstar-like performance from a superstar running back in Jonathan Taylor. Uh, goes for f- uh, four uh, total touchdowns. Five total, four on the yeah, ground, five. one one receiving. Pretty uh, embarrassing stuff for the Bills. We're going to get into pretty much every angle of this thing. As always, we're brought to you by Tops Friendly Markets, your neighborhood store with more. Whether you're celebrating at home or away, Tops has all your fan favorites ready to enjoy for football, entertaining, or any occasion. Ryan, I want to start with, you know, big picture here. Because as we sit here now, like I mentioned with the Bills at six and four, you know, I think somebody brought up a really good point. You know, the, at one point last year, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers who won the Super Bowl, they were at seven and five. I think it was uh, seven and five. Nate Geary from WGR 550. And I think some truths in these times are important. But I wanted to get kind of like our download here at the start. Like, where are expectations now? Is this su- still a Super Bowl caliber team to lose in your own house in the way that they did? against a team that I'll get into this in a minute that I just think is less impressive than the display they put on today. I, I think it's a bit concerning. What, what, what's your what's your main takeaway from that? Well, yeah, I'm not sure uh, if there's truly a Super Bowl contender anymore. I wrote in my uh, Encourage Worried piece, I kind of consider them frauds at this time. Listen, uh, a Super Bowl contending team does not get beat down like this at home by the Indianapolis Colts. Uh, I talked all week about how Jonathan Taylor was a superstar I said he was the best running back in this league. The Bills had a game plan for him. And when you look at the final stats, you know, the Colts didn't have to really pass the ball much today because they were running all over Buffalo. They came into this game and they knew what the what they had to do and they just failed to do it. And you go back and you look at the game against Jacksonville and you look at some of these other uh, losses, especially, you know, week one to Pittsburgh, a team that's kind of, you know, hovering around, staying in the playoff picture. 
those aren't the types of losses you want to see. And you're right. You, you, you look at last year that the Saints win 33 against the Buccaneers who go on to win the Super Bowl. But, but it's a little bit concerning that no one in any of the three phases of the game really stepped up when the Bills needed them today. It, it's odd that no one on this coaching staff really had any kind of answers in game. I hated the way that Sean McDermott coached. Uh, trying to attempt that long field goal. I know he said that he thought the offense was out of sync, but uh, I thought that was a cowardly uh, you know, move on fourth down when the Bills really needed a touchdown more than anything else. So a lot more negative to take out of this game than positives for sure. Well, I tweeted at one point in the game that, uh, you know, this is a, a bad loss because, you know, this is against a team that I think is kind of a middle of the pack team. I mean, it's a six and five team right now that de- looking at their schedule, I mean, they're probably going to be at or a little bit above 500 by the time the season ends. This defense is, is not very impressive. I thought offensively, the Bills have some serious problems if you're relying this much on a, on a third round rookie right tackle being out of the lineup and nobody like that's able to step up. I thought the offensive line was actually a little bit better today. And I thought that. You know, Josh Allen was a little bit more, you know, sporadic. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't as clean as it's been for him at times. The two interceptions, the one fumble that luckily for him, Devin Singletary recovered. But the point of the matter is this, and I think there's some confusion on this tweet. My point is this is a really bad loss for the Bills because of who I think Indianapolis Colts are. I mean, this is a middle of the pack team. They have a superstar running back and you know that, you know, if, if there's one area of, that I, I'll own completely. I was off the mark, wrong. I thought going into this game, the Bills would focus all their attention and limit Jonathan Taylor. That was the complete opposite of what happened. He ran all over them all day, and you saw it from the very first drive. I think one of the big things that I saw play out over the course of the first half was this was a team in all three phases. You know, Josh was asked about his identity, you know, the offense's identity, or I think maybe it was Deion Dawkins. And he said, you know, we're a great team and like we're starting to run the ball a little bit better and we just got to, you know, get back to being great. And I don't know how, how great they are because I feel like some of the identity of this team this season, for the most part, outside of the Tennessee game has been leaning on this defense to bail them out when the offense hasn't been able to figure it out. And as everybody's standing on the sideline, watching the defense fold to an Indianapolis Colts team, that's middle of the pack in every statistical category. They were their top 10 scoring about 28 points a game. But when you're talking about yardage, when they, when you're talking about what they've been able to do offensively, they're not a team that scares you. And with the way they went down the field on that opening drive, they took a quick 14, nothing commanding lead. I think everybody was kind of looking around each other like crap. And you saw that that's the way that they kind of played. I'm not trying to give the Bills a free pass. I'm trying to highlight how bad of a loss I think this is for a sputtering team now at six and four to lose to the Colts. That's my only point. This is a game that you come in here after beating the Jets the way that you did last week and you play a competitive game against a team you beat in the wildcard game. That, that didn't happen is a major, major concern. And Ryan, I flipped so much in the last week. I think that the division is seriously, seriously in jeopardy at this point. Well, you look at those matchups, and I know that the Bills were asked about it, and they said, well, we haven't even played them yet, uh, and we take games week by week. Look at how the Patriots operate. They have a strong defense, and, and mo- you know their offense, they, they have some really good backs. They're going to lean on the run game when they go against Buffalo. And it's going to be up to Buffalo in those matchups to show that they can stop those running backs. They have two really good starting backs on that team, or backs that could be starters across the league. So 
it's it's a concern because the way that the Patriots are built is kind of how, you know, it's kind of a blueprint of how to beat the Bills, especially after this Colts game today. Now, are either of those backs as good as Jonathan Taylor? Absolutely not. Is their offensive line as good as the Colts? No, they have a pretty decent offensive line, uh, but not as good as Indianapolis. So th- th- there's opportunities. Star Latule will probably be back then. Tremaine Edmonds would be back. But two players being out on the defensive side of the ball, um, you know, in that front uh, six, because I know they usually have the two linebackers there in the, the nickel. It's still a concern. It's still worrisome that this is the, how they played Knowing the strengths of this Colts team, having time to prepare for this. And now you're talking about a short week going into New Orleans who, you know, I know they didn't play well today, but maybe they look at this Bills game and say, hey, you know, we're going to get Taysom Hill on the field a lot. We're going to run the ball down their throats with Hill, with Ingram. Uh, We're going to get creative because they couldn't stop a thing on Sunday. This is a good question here. Let's get it in here uh, if we can. Matt, why can't the Bills overcome any adversity? They just seem to be like deer in the headlights. And I think, Ryan, a lot of that comes from what's happening with their head coach right now. And I think that you 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 kind of alluded to this. And the way that he's coaching, I think that that sent a very specific message to his offense when he didn't have faith in them at past the 50-yard line to send them back out there to try to go for a fourth and five when you already can tell. Here's the thing about that play. I know that the offense is struggling to, to get points. I get that, right? But what the what's really happening in the bigger picture is your – the floodgates are wide open. Micah Hyde actually specifically said this. And if the floodgates are open for the defense, you need to put it on the offense to carry the day. That's why you pay Josh Allen all this money. And I feel like you kind of embody the confidence of your coach. I go back to that early, I mean, we've talked about it before, that early moment for the Baltimore Ravens. And I know that they're going through their own struggles. They pulled one out today. Uh, but where Lamar Jackson, you know, had a chance to go for it on fourth down late in the game. And, and his head coach said, yeah, go out there and get it. And, you know, today there was just, again, too many mistakes, untimely penalties. Sean alluded to it too. And actually when he was asked about it, he actually specifically went to this as one of the first things that he described the struggles of this game. He said, guys were in, you know, in the passing game, they weren't catching the ball fundamentally before they decided to run with it. Day one level stuff that, you know, really good, fundamentally strong coach teams, you know, discipline teams, they don't make those mistakes. And you saw it over the place. There were drops today from Dawson Knox. This was just a sloppy game in all three phases. And oh, by the way, and I think kind of that Indianapolis or that uh, Isaiah McKenzie mistake, that was kind of my point. I think that that kind of, you know, there was all of this concern for everybody involved to go out and make a big play. I almost felt like everybody felt like they needed to play some hero ball. It wasn't just Josh Allen this week. And that's what ended up kind of killing them. And, you know, there's a, there might be a confidence level problem with this team right now. There might be. And to go back to that question, I also think there's something about being a physical team. And I know that Sean McDermott post game today said, oh, I think we're a physical team. When? When when have we seen that this season? Look at look at the wins that they've had this year. They haven't had to be physical against a lot of these teams like Houston, like Washington, like the Jets, like the Dolphins. They've just had more talent and, and they've beaten up, beaten up on bad teams when they needed to get physical against the Titans on a, a fourth and one play late in that game, the offensive line was beat. Josh Allen slipped. They weren't physical enough. They were not physical enough today. Uh, the, the coaching staff was not aggressive enough today. I already talked about McDermott's decision there. It kind of reminded me of the AFC Championship game where they were settling for field goals early there, and, and they were okay with that. 
that's not how you're going to win uh, against teams like the Colts when they, when they're on and they're firing on all cylinders. And listen, Josh Allen was not good today. There's no defense for his play. He he tried to play a little bit of hero ball and he put some uh, passes in, in some dangerous spots. And I know some fans are upset with the first interception saying Gabriel Davis was getting held. Listen, the officials didn't call a hold. They didn't call anything. There's nothing you can do about that. Then he almost threw another interception to Odom. That was that low ball that was kind of to no one. It was just uh, short of digs and, and just kind of put up there. He threw a ball up in the air. He's got to be smarter. He was stripped of the ball right before ha- uh, or, or late in that game, or late in the half, I should say, and it came out way too easily, and luckily Singletary was there to at least recover it. Little things like that, but uh, again, it doesn't all fall on, on Allen. It doesn't all fall on this defense, and it doesn't fall on Isaiah McKenzie, who when you're slipping to the ground, you have to find a way to secure that football. That That was an inexcusable fumble. There was Knowing that jarred it loose, no reason for it to come loose. I know it was raining. I know it was wet. He's got to be better. All three phases of this team failed them today. The coaching staff failed them today. Uh, I, I know Dion Dawkins said this was a, a game that you kind of flush, but listen, after this, after the Jaguars game, after the Colts game, that toilet's getting clogged, man. It's going to get hard to keep flushing these down the toilet with the way that they've been playing. Jonathan Taylor is just let's be honest, he's the real deal. He's an absolute beast. And he came in here and it kind of gives you some concerns looking to next week, even with the poor quarterback play of Alvin, Alvin Kamara is able to get back. You think back a couple of years ago to what Kamara and Ingram did to the bills. Definitely some things they got to you know work on over the next couple of days. But do you think the bills made a roster for the chiefs and they overlooked some certain areas? And it's a good question. I, I think what we're learning here at this stage is maybe the bill's depth perceived depth maybe wasn't as good as was made out to be, you know, after the off season was kind of completed, you know, uh, my big issue that has kind of remained an issue on this show. If you've been following along over the weeks is I'm a little bit concerned about this defensive line, you know, today without star Latule, who let's be honest, he, he didn't play in this game last year. He was out last year. He opted out. Jonathan Taylor went for 76 and a touchdown in that game. So there's really no excuse not having him in this game. You know, maybe Tremaine Edmonds mattered a little bit more than a lot of fans wanted to admit. I know AJ Klein played well last week and we were kind of trying to settle down some of those, you know, bench Tremaine Edmonds and get AJ Klein in the starting lineup. I bet you those folks have uh, quieted down on social media over the last, you know, eight or eight or so hours. But I don't know if the Bills did everything they could to address this defensive line and add a real difference maker. I've said it a hundred times, Ryan. There's no, they needed one guy to make a big play today. And you know who made it? It was Ed Oliver, but it was way far too late while the game was already pretty much out of, out of um, reach. And it was negated his first sack of the year. Poor guy by a Taron Johnson holding penalty in the defensive secondary. And you could say what you want about it being a weak call. There was a couple. I thought the Jordan Poyer hit out of bounds was a little bit flaky, tic-tac. Mario Addison might have been pushed into the quarterback. I get all that. But there's rules. There's penalties. You got to deal with them. The Bills didn't make enough plays to win this game. And like Sean McDermott said, it starts at the point of attack. They're not scaring anybody with this defensive line. I'm very concerned if A.J. Epinesa doesn't take a consistent jump. And I thought he was okay at times today. Greg Rousseau, who they've kind of banked on because of where they took him, there's just not enough production on that defensive line. Starlet Tulele or not right now. 
No, I agree completely. I thought Jerry Hughes had a nice game. He was flashing at times, getting some pressure, uh, getting in the face of Carson Wentz. But you're right. I mean, who is that difference maker on the defensive line? Who's the guy that's getting after the quarterback and sacking the quarterback consistently? There's no one on that defensive line. You you look at Kansas City and they traded for a guy like Melvin Ingram, uh, a a late pick for him. And he's looked really good in, in Kansas City, given the opportunity. And maybe... Maybe it's just a little flash in the pan like it was in, in Pittsburgh where he has one or two good games, but at least they made a move. They they did something to address their their pass rush. I know the Bills have drafted pass rushers high in the last two drafts. They went out, they signed F.A. Obata. They still thought that Mario Addison and Jerry Hughes could contribute, but no one is scaring opposing defense, uh, offensive linemen. They're kind of getting held in in place. Quarterbacks are having time to scan the field. And then as you saw today, when you have a really good unit like the Colts, they're they're parting the season, opening up major run lanes for their backs. Uh, Jonathan Taylor, I truly do believe, is the best running back in the NFL right now. But he also has it a little bit easier than some backs across this league based on the running lanes that are there for him, the the, the uh, blockers that he has out in front of him. It, it helps when you have some some great talent on that offensive line. And in hand-in-hand, Buffalo had no answers up front. How many times in the Sean McDermott era have the Bills given up 200 rushing yards or more? Uh, obviously, you remember New Orleans in, in 2017 when they gave up 298 rushing yards. Uh, Indy, 220 in 18. 226 to Jacksonville in 18, 270 to New England in 18, 218 to Philly in 19, 217 to the Arizona Cardinals in 20, and 245 to Kansas City last year. This is the first time this season that anybody's rushed for over 200 yards, and this has consistently been a problem for Sean McDermott's defense in Buffalo. After a while... You know, it, it's it's a trend. It's it's not something that, you know, it seemed like it happened two times last year. And I know they played Arizona in that game. And uh, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire just went off in that one game they played against Kansas City. But this was a team up front. And listen, I think they miss Tremaine Edmonds a lot more than anybody's willing to really admit, especially the people that are, are down on him for some reason. With all of that said, you can't have this result in this spot with this much on the line. Ryan, not only is this a division-altering loss because of where things stand in the division right now, and I thought it was a good point that I think um, Dawson Knox made is that he said, you know, we haven't even played in New England yet, so they're not even thinking about that. But Tennessee lays an egg and loses in the, to the Houston Texans today a wide open opportunity for the Bills to get back in the race for the number one seed. And I think at this point, you can't say the one seed is off the table because we saw how the Bills responded last year once they finally woke up off of that, um, you know, that loss uh, to the Arizona Cardinals. We saw how they responded a few years ago early on when they had that really poor performance against the Chargers. I think that was that was in 17 before I started covering the team. They've done this under McDermott, but this is a problem that, when you can't stop the run in January, like whether or not Starla Tula is in the lineup, whether Tremaine Evans is in the lineup, it's it's a massive problem. It's a massive concern. Yeah, well, I mean, I want to say it was two of the Colts' first three drives. Uh, I think they chewed up about 14 minutes combined in two of their first three drives. There was an eight-minute drive and a six-minute drive. They had a few short drives as well where they didn't need many plays to find the end zone or put up points, but 
when when the run game is going for opposing teams, not only does it keep Buffalo's offense off the field, it tires out this defense. It takes time off the clock. It puts the Bills in a bind. Late in that game, Matt, especially late in the game, you knew that that the Colts were just going to run the ball to try to get as much time off the clock as possible uh, when, when they were up 23. The Bills had no answers. They were just marching it down the field like it was no problem at all despite the Bills knowing they weren't going to pass the ball. They didn't want to stop the clock. So even in, in a scenario where you knew exactly what they were going to do, Buffalo just kept getting punched in the mouth and had no response for it. So, you know, the, after the loss to Jacksonville, they had this big locker room meeting with the players only and all this stuff. And uh, for one week, it looked good against the Jets. But you can only do the rah-rah speech, get all hyped up so many times before there just needs to be some changes and some – uh, go to the coaching staff and figure out what needs to be adjusted, what needs to be done in, in terms of gap integrity, in terms of what they're not doing right right now. One or two players on this defense should not make it look this bad because injuries happen in the NFL, Matt. You know mm-hmm. that I know it. And, and in no way should this be something that causes you to get blown out the way the Bills did today at home. From hot-to-go pizza and appetizers, signature fried chicken, baby back ribs and subs, to delicious salads and brownie trays, Tops has everything you need to feed the hungriest fan this season. Uh, let's stay on the defensive line for a second, because I, I do want to, going back to that question a little while ago about how the Bills built this thing, you know, one of the big concerns that a lot of fans had going into the season was, you know, restructuring Vernon Butler, restructuring Mario Addison. You know, right now, as we sit here, it's through 10 games. I think that those were bad decisions. I think that if you find a way to move on from those contracts, whatever the case may be, having the forward thinking to, okay, we saw what we saw out of Vernon Butler. He's been an up and down guy. You know, I was talking to somebody recently that covered Carolina and, you know, I was taught Vernon Butler came up and he, the, they were like, you know, I'm not surprised he hasn't been an impact player. He never was an impact player in Carolina. He was up and down. His sacks were, they came in spurts. And, you know, he has just been a complete flop. If you're talking about a guy for as, as a big impact interior player, I thought Harrison Phillips didn't play this play well this week. I thought Ed Oliver was probably the, the most consistent guy in the middle, but again, they're asking him, to play out of position, which he's been much better as a nose guard, nose tackle. I think that he's he's adapted and learned how to play both spots. It's kind of a little bit similar to the to the Cody Ford deal. Like, how much has that impacted the development of the player, the inability to have a clear vision for the player? I think that that's impacted at Oliver a little bit, and he's overcoming it based on talent, I think. I think that's part of why he's been so strong over the past month. But I really think, and people are, you know, there's been some heat on Bobby Johnson and Eric Washington, rightfully so, on both sides of the ball. I think both of those guys have questions to answer. But more so Eric Washington right now, Sean McDermott and Leslie Frazier as a group with how they've handled Ed Oliver, and not only just how they've handled Ed Oliver, but their inability to make good decisions around him has impacted a ninth overall draft pick. And who knows if how much of Cody Ford struggle has been in their inability to manage that career arc as well. I mean, this week, Ryan, sorry, I'm ta- I'm monopolizing the time, but this is an important point. This week, I got a couple questions about Cody Ford. Why not flip him back out to right tackle? 
Could you imagine this week if Brandon Bean or Sean McDermott or Bobby Johnson or Brian Dable brought Cody Ford into a room and said, you know what, Cody, we're going to flip you back out to right tackle. Could you imagine if you're Cody Ford in that spot, what you're saying? Probably like, are you effing kidding me? After all of this, you didn't even give me an actual shot year one to play right tackle. I just think the, the career of Cody Ford, and this might be a really drastic statement, has been completely bungled. And this is coming from a spot or an organization that I think has done a supremely excellent job with so many prospects over the last four years, five years. There's just, just been a couple head scratches. And I know you can't win them all. But you're looking at two sides of the line where you needed you need more from those two guys, definitely more from Cody Ford, and you're not getting it. And I think that's comes down to the coaching staff and the front office. They failed them in a lot of ways. I think you're right, and it makes you a little bit concerned about a guy like Boogie Basham, who they think has that inside-outside versatility. Uh, is that better off for him, cross-training him, getting to play those different positions, or is that going to stunt his development? Uh, are the Bills kind of their own worst enemy in that regard in terms of not sticking a player in one spot? I've seen some fans, I saw someone in the comment here saying that maybe the Bills are just not great at evaluating talent on the offensive line. Uh, they go back to the Wyatt Teller point, and, and listen, Again, I've said this before, the talent in Cleveland, the offensive line coach in Cleveland, they brought a lot out in Wyatt Teller. Um, but the Bills didn't view him the way that they they view some other linemen that they've drafted over the years in those middle rounds that they w- didn't want to risk losing. They, they figured they could kind of trade him after a year, uh, get some picks back. And mind you, those picks went to good use as well. But it's always easy to look back at these moves. Quentin Spain kind of played his way out of, of Buffalo with some things that, that occurred, but he's playing well now. It, it, it's easy to always go back and look and say, well, these guys are thriving elsewhere now. And, and it's true, but it's also fair to kind of criticize this this regime and say, do they know what they're doing on the offensive line in terms of the players that they've uh, brought in at guard specifically? You've talked about the depth, Matt. We've had Ryan Bates here for for a few years now. And yes, backup center right now. Maybe that's why he's not seeing a ton of playing time. He was the extra lineman at times today. Uh, Cody Ford has been bungled. We've seen a lot of up and down play from Ike Butker. Uh, John Feliciano up and down play. Obviously, he was a uh, free agent signing a few years back. He isn't someone that they've had since year one to develop. But especially at the guard position, those interior guard spots, uh, you, you haven't seen a lot of great play there here in Buffalo now. To their credit, Spencer Brown has come along very nicely. Uh, Deion Dawkins from, you know, drafting him in the second round when they did. Uh, he's come along very nicely. So it's not across the board on the offensive line, but we we haven't seen success there. And, and then on defense, you nailed it. You, you know, you move guys around. You don't let them get comfortable in a spot. You don't let them learn one spot. It, it's possibly stunted at Oliver's development. He's made a lot of splash plays this year. Um, but I don't think he's lived up to the billing of being the number nine overall pick necessarily. And I don't think that's necessarily on him. It's the fact that they didn't have star last year. He opted out and they didn't have a, a great option or backup option with, with him out of the picture and, and you're playing him out of position. So th- there's a lot of blame to go around here in Buffalo. And I think this offseason, they really do have to sit down and say, are we doing what's best for our young players and prospects? I really like the way that the Bills started this game. They came out in a couple different personnel packages and they utilized the screenplay. I mean, a couple early on, one to Singletary, one to Knox that stood out. They were moving the ball. And then it was, of course, the penalty that really set them back. It ends up 
completely stunting the drive. And, you know, they end up going a 14 nothing. The Bills come back and they get, they rekindle the, the momentum and they get things going in the right direction. You know, great. Here's the troubling thing about the first half, though, to me. Sometimes I feel like I don't know what it is about this staff. And I don't know if it's Dable. I don't know if it's McDermott. There, I don't know if it's a stubbornness or if there's something else at play because of the, you know, draft capital invested in Singletary and Moss. How do you not play Brita until the third quarter? That was egregious to me. And what ends up happening? The guy gets five touches and he gets over 50 yards rushing. The best rushing play maybe, you know, outside of the 46-yarder for Devin Singletary where he basically went untouched. But I'm talking about a schemed up run, a wide left. I think they had the tackle eligible in or they at least had two tight ends maybe. They ran a wide zone run to the left. Brita goes zipping around to the outside. Where has that been all season? You know what it is? I'm so sick of talking about this running game week in and week out. It's the most mundane, boring thing in the world for me to talk about. Maybe outside of punting, punting would be worse. I, I I can't lie. No offense to Reed Ferguson or Matt Hawk or Tyler Bass, not a special teams enthusiast, but talking about like the different elements of the run game in 2021, not working can be about as bang your head against the wall as it gets. And you got a guy in Matt Breida who's flashed now in two straight mm-hmm. games. I, in a lot of ways, Ryan, and this might be crazy because I've I've actually liked the way that Devin Singletary has been, has worked with the ball. He had one cut today, tweeted it, spectacular move. I mean, when this guy gets in the open field, he's so special, Devin Singletary. But I almost think that they need to go to a heavy load for Breida and have Singletary be the change of pace back and sit Zach Moss on the bench. Listen, I know he's a, a third round draft pick, but you have to figure this thing out now. And I think Brita is right now has shown the most ability to get things maybe going in the run to, run game. And I know that they went down early, but you got to find a way to run it more than 13 times for your backs. Yeah. And you're reading my mind. I was going to mention the same points. I think it should be a Brita Singletary backfield going forward. I think that Brita brings, you know, the most of this team, obviously, in terms of speed. You mentioned that run. He gets to the outside. He he makes a nice little cut uh, and he gets a nice uh, sizable gain there. And you're right. Uh, over 50 yards rushing. I think he had uh, one catch for what, 12 or six. I want to say 16 yards. He was a he was a difference maker with the ball in his ha- hands today, but the problem is he's not getting the ball enough. He's not rolling out on that field until it's too late. Unfortunately, Zach Moss right now is kind of the odd man out. He hasn't been effective with the ball in his hands. He was held. He's been held to three something yards per carry last week. He he didn't look great today with the ball in his hands. He just nece- doesn't necessarily bring what the other backs do. You mentioned it. Singletary doesn't have the breakaway speed that Breida does but he does have a little elusiveness. He can make you miss. He can make those cuts. Uh, I think that he has run very well in terms of the yard per carry average. And again, it's just a, a scenario where he hasn't had the ball in his hands a lot. I'm not saying the Bills need to flip the script and, and go with 25, 30 carries like, against the Saints on Thanksgiving and going forward, but they got to get him more involved. And I don't think having three backs that you're trying to work in to a rotation and get a rhythm is going to benefit anyone whatsoever. A Buffalo football podcast hosted by Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot. I'm just going to start throwing out thoughts that I have. I mean, we're going all over the place, but that's okay. Sometimes in a game like this, you got to do that. 
you know, they, they took some shots. They've taken some shots. I mean, Stefan Diggs was the massive big shots the, in the way that they built this roster. You can't say that they haven't at least tried to go out and get big time like star players. I mean, JJ Watt, even to a lesser degree, being in on that and maybe in the final three teams. I mean, they wanted to address the pass. It's just not like that it's something they didn't want to do. I just think that they needed to be more aggressive and clear with what they needed. I almost felt like it was a situation where I'd have been okay with the strategy they used if they, from the jump, right before the start of free agency, they cut ties with Mario Addison and Vernon Butler, whatever the cost was. And I think you would have saved some money. And then go out and, and try to make a real run at a Matthew Judon or some type of piece like that. Make a trade for somebody that you know is looking to offload some salary and then do some gymnastics around that. I think that this needed to be a much bigger deal because I still will maintain if you were to get another player and then maybe restructure Jerry Hughes into a two-year deal lessen this year's cap hit. I know that that's not a great thing to do because maybe you want to get out of that after this year, but there were mechanisms in place to make changes and 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 kind of mess with things with and, and we we've already covered this, but it's important. Like I I don't know if on the lines they did enough and then they were left, you know, people want to know why didn't they make tr- deals at the trade deadline? There was really no maneuverability at that point. $4 million, you know, there was there were some mechanisms left, but it really wasn't ideal. And I would imagine if I was, I still go back to Norwell as being the only guy that I would have really considered because I thought he was an upgrade over a couple of people that you have. It's going to cost. And not only is it going to cost, it's probably going to cost more because Jacksonville's in a spot where they can't risk their young quarterback by sending away uh, an experienced, good, much above average level player on their offensive line for not a really good return. Yeah. I, I, I just don't think that they did enough on both sides of the line. I think that's, and that's what I think that we're seeing. So if they're not a hundred percent healthy, they don't have Spencer Brown, which allows you to play Daryl Williams inside. If they don't have a healthy John Feliciano, who now we know without a fact that even if you don't believe in him as an above average player or blocker the pre-snap stuff the communication level stuff you know they're they're missing i mean everything looks a mess right now you know the the pass game looks a mess you know re- i don't know how much john feliciano helps recognize coverages pre-snap which helps mitch morris which helps josh allen who knows what goes into all of that but i'll tell you right now this offense hasn't looked right most weeks even when they put up the numbers and, you know, you're probably not going to be 100% healthy for the rest of the way. But figuring that out probably is going to coincide with getting some of these guys back. Yeah, you need certain pieces back, clearly, if the Bills are going to try to make a run. And we've talked about this, man. I think anything short of the AFC Championship game is a failure this year. I, I thought, actually, they had to advance to the Super Bowl this year. And right now, we're talking about them being a middle-of-the-pack team. Feliciano, like you said, play-wise, maybe he's not. He's, he's definitely not an all-pro guard or anything like that by any stretch of the imagination. But he helps with the pre-snap communication. He helps... Uh, bring some fire to that offensive line. That There's something to be said about that. He gets fired up when they actually run the ball, and he's a supporter of that. He does little things pretty well. Um, he, you know, no one's going to confuse him for Quentin Nelson or anything like that by, by any means, but th- they miss him, and, and it's clear they miss him. I thought like Butker has played a little bit better over these last few weeks, obviously. 
Uh, you mentioned the line earlier. They only allowed one sack in this game. Uh, but Allen was still kind of eluding pressure quite a bit or having to roll back. It, it wasn't ideal. So, yeah, a, a guy like Feliciano is needed if the Bills need to make a run. But that's the problem, and you already stated it. What teams enter the playoffs at 100% health? There's there's none. There's always injuries that you have to make adjustments for and, and understand that you have to have that next man up mentality, but no one's stepping up. No one is taking over that role when their number's been called, and that's the problem. The depth here isn't as good as it's been perceived. Somebody in the comments just said they didn't need Matthew Judon. They needed a you know, run-stuffing defensive lineman. Fair. I mean, I, I think they could have used that as well. But here's what I think Matthew Judon does. Okay. He has this season 10 and a half sacks with the Patriots. Okay. 10 and a half sacks. That's a career high. His previous high was nine and a half. He's played 11 games. Okay. Here's what the Bills have the Bills as a team, they had no sacks today in this game. Okay. No sacks today. As a team on the season, the Bills have 19 sacks. Do you know how many of their de- defensive ends have combined, Ryan? No. Their defensive how ends. How many do they have? They have 10 and a half sacks if you're going to count Afiobata, who I'm pretty sure if you do the snap count, he's played more interior. Uh, uh, actually, no, he's, he's played a lot of uh, DN snaps recently. So let's just say 10 and a half sacks for the entirety of the Bills position group at edge rusher. Matthew Judon by himself has 10 and a half sacks. Am I crazy here, Ryan? No, you're not. Am I crazy for sitting here saying that that's what I think this missing piece is? Because I think if you get a guy that generates even 70% of that, it unlocks Ed Oliver and allows him to be used the way that you want. And to Michael Wiley's point, Ed Oliver wasn't the problem today. He was probably not the problem today. I thought that, you know, they did a pretty good job up front. I got to go back and watch the game and see where the breakdowns really happen. But a couple times I saw defensive ends not getting in and clogging lanes. I thought that the linebackers left a lot to be desired. I think that they need Tremaine Edmonds back in a big way. And I thought way too many times you needed your defensive backs to come up and help and run support too much. You need them to help. I mean, this defense is predicated with, you know, always playing five defensive backs. They're going to tackle. But way too much was put on the back seven. And I don't think not not enough was put on the front four or not enough production, at least. No. And if you get someone like a Judon level that can get after the quarterback on their own, win those matchups, you're not having to send pressure to generate those sacks. It feels like when the when the Bills have been able to take the quarterback down a lot this year, it's because they have a free man blitzing off the edge. Uh, or that they're sending pressure up the middle from the linebacker position or, or the secondary. It's not just Buffalo's front four winning their matchups. It's always the, the extra pass rusher more times than not. Minus that Miami game where A.J. Epinesa was a force. He's kind of disappeared. Greg Rousseau's flashed a little bit in the run game, but he has not made any kind of splash a, as a pass rusher. His sacks came... Uh, on plays where Epinesa is the one that forced the pressure and kind of forced the quarterback right into his lap. You haven't seen much from Mario Addison, who absolutely whiffed on a sack today where they had Carson Wentz dead to rights, and, and he ducks down, and somehow he eludes uh, Addison and runs for a first down. Just a, a terrible play. And as much pressure as Jerry Hughes has had this year and he gets last year, pressure's good. 
but it doesn't necessarily always end in a negative play for the offense. We've seen him get pressure and the quarterback complete passes and move the chains. It's not like a sack. It's not like uh, a batted pass that gets you uh, down. Pressure's good. There's no, there's no denying that, but it's not enough. And, and they're not getting the results from him either. So this offseason, regardless of how the rest of this year goes, they need to come up with a plan to bring in an impact player that can get after the quarterback. So here's the leaders in sacks this season. Miles Garrett, TJ Watt at the top, sure. Matt Judon, three. Harold Landry, four. Hassan Reddick was a free agent. Nine and a half sacks for Carolina. Maybe he doesn't fit into the scheme. Fine, if that's if that's a thing. If you, if you think that a bendable, traditional outside linebacker is not a fit, although I think that that's kind of what Jerry Hughes is, but you know, what do I know? I'm not a real, like, uh, you know, football guy, you know, but some of these things stick out at you. Marcus Golden, guy was a free agent a couple of years ago, nine sacks. Trey Hendrickson, huge free agent target this summer. Cincinnati paid him eight and a half sacks. Leonard Floyd, I'm pretty sure he was a big time free agent a couple of years ago, seven and a half sacks. It's just Robert Quinn, another guy, six and a half sacks for Chicago. He was a free agent a couple of years ago. It just comes down to resources, using what your resources wisely, going out and getting guys that are going to be difference makers. And, you know, somebody mentions uh, Barmore. I'm pretty sure that uh, where did he go? He went in the second round, right, to the Patriots? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, he's been an absolute monster. It would have been interesting seeing him paired with, with that Oliver in the middle. But listen, you know, these are things that as we sit here right now with the New England Patriots, taking the top spot in the, in the AFC East to code red, you know, like it's a th- threat level midnight, if you will, for the bills. I mean, I, I think like, you know, they've had a couple wake up calls this year, the Pittsburgh game, the Tennessee game. And, you know, th- they're a team that has to learn to deal with adversity in game and not spiral out of control when things start to go poorly. And that to me, as much as it's on the players collectively, it comes down to Sean McDermott, Brian Dable, Leslie Frazier. They have to be better. They have to be better. They got to be better at getting their teams ready to play. That's one other thing about this season, Ryan. Uh, just way too inconsistent with the way that the Bills have started games, specifically offensively for the most part. But today was an, an indictment a bit on the defense. Patriots play at the, or the Patriots host the Tennessee Titans next week. Huge game. You want the Patriots to win that game, even though that'll keep them in the top spot in the AFC East because you got two games remaining with. Uh, the Patriots, and that might peg down the Tennessee Titans a little bit more. The Bills go on that run. We, we, we've lamented on a lot of the bad the bad news here, and there's a lot from this game, all three phases. I mean, I, we, we didn't really cover, go too much into Isaiah McKenzie. That's, you know, trending to be a problem. You know, as much as I've been a fan of what he's done this year, and he's had a couple of big runs, with something we'll talk about in the future. Give us a takeaway where, or maybe give us a reason why the Bills – We'll get this thing turned around and maybe go on a little bit of a run. If you had to pick one thing, what gives you the confidence to say, okay, this this is going to get things turned around? Well, uh, you know, compared to the the Jacksonville game, the one thing I'll, I'll say about today's is you saw the difference that a guy like Dawson Knox can make. He he was uh, six catches, eighty some yards. He can be a difference maker for this offense. So if the offensive line can get healthy, I think that Knox unlocks a lot for this offense. I think that they finally have figured out that Breida's speed is an asset that can't be denied. So if you can get a, a more a sizable role for Breida. If you can get Dawson Knox involved a little bit more offensively, it's going to unlock things for this team. 
they have to be a little bit more balanced. I'm not saying 50-50. I'm not even saying 60-40 pass to run. But you can't be so one-dimensional. That makes it so easy for the opposing defenses to predict what you're going to do. So every, you know, after every loss on Monday, we hear the same spiel from the coaches. It, you know, they didn't play well enough and it starts with me. Yeah, it, it starts with you. So make the changes that are necessary, that are obvious for anyone that's been watching this team uh, all season. The run game needs to be more of a factor. I'm not saying come out every first down and run the ball. You don't want to be predictable in that regard either, but get that run game going a little bit. Get defenses off balance. Show that you can hurt them on the ground because then that's going to unlock things for Josh Allen again through the air. Uh, I feel like Allen needs to go back to the drawing board on taking what's given to him. He's trying to to force some throws in certain scenarios. It's just not working based on the defenses that they're playing against. So get him back in line with what he needs to do. Focus a little bit more on this run game with a, a Breida Singletary backfield. And I think that they can still right this ship and win the division. You get guys healthy. I think that's number one, the biggest thing. And I want to set that up a little bit because Starla Tulele, he tested uh, positive on Sunday before the Jets game. So he's seven days out right now. Um, we talked to Harrison Phillips on Friday and he said that it, it wasn't his bout with COVID wasn't as bad as it could have been. That's good. That's good news, right? Today, we don't really know where Spencer Brown is at health-wise. Nobody's really commented on that. But what we did hear today was some interesting comments from Deion Dawkins and Sean McDermott. Sean McDermott said, and I quote, let me bring this up here so I have it perfectly correct. When he was At first, he said, I don't want to talk about anybody that's in the COVID protocol. That's just what I believe in. Then he came out and he kind of, you know, I think alluded to what their vaccination status is. He said, I respect those guys' decision. And I'm going to talk about the guys that are here also, Deion Dawkins made a, a comment in his press conference about, you know, that we respect, everybody's got a decision to make. And so that leads you to believe without knowing that Starla Tule and Spencer Brown are unvaccinated. So for Spencer Brown, if that's the case, they'll be out definitely for New Orleans. So they're going to have to figure things out pretty quickly. Now, John Feliciano was down on the sideline today warming up. This today was his last game that he has to be out with that three week window on IR. So if he's ready to practice on t- tomorrow, he could potentially return, and that could be a situation where maybe they put him in at right guard, keep Deion Dawkins or Deion, um, uh, Daryl Williams out at right tackle, Ike Butker, and they move on for the New Orleans game. Uh, Star Latule could get back, but the, the concerning thing with him is, Ryan, when can he get back? If it's a 10-day window and he's unvaccinated, it's going to be right up against it. Are they willing, after a bout with COVID, even if it's not as bad as they thought, willing to bring him back? and play him without any practices, I'm a little bit hesitant to think that that would be the case. And we don't know where the conditioning is at either. I, I know they said it's not as bad as it could have been, but we, for all we know, it, you know, it can still knock you for a loop and you're, he's probably not training like he would be during a given week. So uh, he might not be available for this game, but Feliciano could be a, a key cog that could really help if he is available to go because then that eliminates one of those guard issues that the Bills have been having. Uh, you can move him back to left guard once you get Spencer Brown back, obviously. But until that happens, address the right guard area. You know, put him with Daryl Williams, and I think that addresses a lot of the issues that they've been having there. Uh, but we don't know if that's going to happen in terms of being ready for Thursday. So it's going to be interesting. The Saints had a dud performance of their own today. Obviously, we don't know the status of Elvin Kamara for this upcoming game on Thursday. 
Trevor Simeon's kind of been figured out all over again. Do they go with a Taysom Hill and, and run it down Buffalo's throat until Buffalo can stop them? Who knows? I'm sure it's at least something that they're going to consider based on how poorly the, the Bills played today against the run. Hi, Sarah. How are you? Good. How are you guys? Good. What do you got for us? So I wanted to bring a little bit of a happier ending to this today's show. And um, I saw a comment earlier about how the best part of today's game was uh, Matt during his pregame waving to his um, daughter. And so is this something that you do every game, Matt? I wasn't sure. No. So first of all, a little story about my daughter. Um, she always ro- watches me on the pregame show on Channel 4, and she calls it watching me on Buffalo. Like, that's all she understands. Like, I think at one point, like, my wife must have said, oh, it's the Buffalo game or something. So she, when I'm at work, it's I'm at Buffalo. If I'm going on a plane to go to a game, I'm going to Buffalo. I'm going to, bu- I'm, I'm at Buffalo, whatever the case would be. So she says, she always like feels like she's like communicating with me. And so she said, so I told her this morning before I went, I said, look, look on the show today. I'll wave to you right at the start. And so here it, my wife videoed it as, as the show started today. And it was funny, a little behind the scenes, Scott Swenson, who's the producer for channel four, he didn't, nobody knew that I was doing it. So I kind of like went like this and Swenson, I haven't talked to him yet, but I think he thought I was waving to him. And so he kind of did some weird thing off camera, like, hey, or something. He thought I was waving to him, but I was really waving to my daughter. She was super hmm. excited about it. And you said, uh, somebody said that that was the best part of the game. Uh, yeah, today. in the comments earlier, yeah. <laughs> All right. Tough game for the Buffalo Bills. They look to rebound in four days against the New Orleans Saints. Ryan and I are getting on a evening flight on Tuesday. We got plenty of plans. I got a story that I'm going to be working on over the next 24 hours. It is a phenomenal story that's going to be in the bank. We'll probably have it live sometime tomorrow or Tuesday. I'm so excited about it. Uh, So stay tuned for that. Ryan and I have some plans for another story. When we get down there, we'll have coverage on the ground. Big game. And I feel like this game is taken on a different level of importance considering where things, you know, how they transpired in this game, Ryan. Yeah, you know, every game's a must win. But I I think after a performance like Sunday, the Bills not only have to come out and win on Thanksgiving, they have to make a statement against a Saints team that is lacking a a true quarterback right now. It's it's one of those games where make stopping the run your focal point, get back on track and run defense after one of your worst performances of the, obviously, the I would say the worst performance of 2021 based on stopping the run. KC's back. It looks like they get another win today, 19 to nine over the Dallas Cowboys. So things are heating up in the AFC. We'll head down to New Orleans to bring you all of the coverage for Sarah Holland, Ryan Talbot. I am Matt Perino. And if you're hosting a large party, check out Tops' huge selection of party platters for a del- delicious, effortless, and affordable, no stress way to impress. For complete details, stop by their carryout cafe or visit topsmarkets.com slash fantasy foodball. Uh, we're looking forward to a fun short week. See you on Thanksgiving. Take care, everyone. Shout, a Buffalo football podcast hosted by Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot.